It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Tonight on the News Hour, paying tribute. We will not forget these young soldiers who bravely fought for peace. Province-wide ceremonies marking Remembrance Day. Plus. You could hear it a lot. It was pretty like loud, not like uh, storms that we're used to. The major cleanup after a fierce storm hits the south coast. Also ahead, welcoming the light. This is the time when we take out time from our busy schedules to meet our close ones. We can spend some quality time. Preparations now underway for the Wally. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Under overcast skies, thousands gathered in downtown Vancouver today to pay tribute to those who fought for their country. The ceremony in Victory Square was one of dozens held around the province. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the pain and sorrow of war has not been forgotten. At Victory Square in downtown Vancouver, it was the 99th annual Remembrance Day service. Several thousand people attended. We pause to honour the sacrifices of more than 100,000 Canadians who have died fighting for our freedom. Veterans from long ago were acknowledged, as were those who made sacrifices more recently. 158 young men and women paid the ultimate sacrifice during this brutal war. More than 40,000 Canadians served from 2001 to 2014. Traditions of the service continued, among them the last post. There was the lament. and the fly-pass, and the laying of wreaths. World War II merchant seaman Percy Smith, who is now 100 years young, laid the single white rose. Percy served from 1942 to 46, moving war supplies across the Atlantic Ocean. For all of us, it's an important day. Enjoy the liberty our veterans have given us. Freedom is not free. One, to remember and be grateful. Catherine Hart, Global News. In Surrey, the Cloverdale Legion hosted Remembrance Day ceremonies at Veterans Square next door to the Surrey Museum. Hundreds of veterans, RCMP and members of the community were on hand. The ceremony started off with a procession of Mounties, cadets and veterans down 176A Street towards the Cloverdale Cenotaph. Dozens of wreaths were laid, including one from Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke. And friends, as we gather 
left here in peace and safety, we pay our respects to all the fallen, all the wounded, and all who have served in conflicts for us. We give thanks for their sacrifices, both past and the ongoing sacrifice of our enlisted women and men. The ceremony was one of three Remembrance Day events in Surrey. More than a thousand people gathered in Kelowna for Remembrance Day ceremonies at the community's city park. The event began with a parade led by the Legion, Cadets and RCMP down Bernard Avenue, ending at the park cenotaph. Nearby, the Field of Crosses, honoring the names of 227 Kelowna soldiers who died while serving their country. A ceremony followed as residents and veterans laid poppies and wreaths to pay their respects. And in Vernon, services were held at Caltire Place, organized jointly by the Royal Canadian Legion Branch 25 and the City of Vernon. Veterans, soldiers, RCMP and cadets sitting as guests of honour in the 3,000-seat venue. During the week leading up to today's public ceremony, the Vernon Legion participated in remembrance ceremonies at eight local elementary and secondary schools, as well as numerous seniors' homes. At Penticton Cenotaph, a 91-year-old Korean War veteran told Global News he believes interest in Remembrance Day is greater than ever. Kimberly Davidson brings us his story. Penticton's Veterans Park was filled today with people who prefer the outdoor ceremony to the indoor one held at the Penticton Trade and Convention Center at the same time. One of those people is 91-year-old Korean veteran Fred McDonald. I remember all of my comrades, especially a lot of them who have been killed in Korea. McDonald taking in every moment of the service that is in honor of him, as well as fallen war heroes and those serving today. And now we lie in Flanders Fields. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. I was Korea. My brother was Korea. He got killed there. And uh, I, I got smashed up a little bit, but nothing. I, I, I kept on going. He even garnered applause when he approached the cenotaph to watch his own wreath be laid. McDonald doesn't believe interest in Remembrance Day is waning. To the contrary, he believes more and more people show up to services every year. That's good because it's shown, it's shown that there is gratitude and, and thanks to what people did for them many years ago. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. And some breaking news to tell you about out of Surrey now, where there are significant road closures on two high-traffic routes following a power line incident and fire along 176th Street and Fraser Highway. Surrey RCMP say Fraser Highway is closed in both directions between 170th and 182nd Streets. 176th Street is also closed in both directions from 80th to 68th Avenue. The closure will remain in effect indefinitely as BC Hydro tends to all necessary repairs. Drivers can expect significant delays throughout the area. 
Well, if you weren't woken up by the wind rattling your windows last night, you almost certainly saw the aftermath today. Flooded streets, power outages and fallen trees are all over Metro Vancouver after a major storm swept through the region. Alyssa Tebow has more on the fallout. Intense and aggressive. While most people slept, a fierce fall storm ripped across the south coast. All the windows were shaking and uh, they, there were a lot of leaves like going around, going crazy. I felt like somebody was like knocking on my balcony door really hard and it was a little bit scary. Powerful wind gusts turned rain sideways. These videos captured on the north shore by a local storm chaser. It sounded like a, a rumble, like a train coming through, especially when I was out towards Wycliffe Park. It was coming quite quickly, shaking the car a little bit as well. More than 200,000 people lost power, and the conditions proved too dangerous for ferries, with all evening sailings after 6pm cancelled, and passengers turned away. There's no more for the night. Didn't make it in time. What can we do? Yeah, we I live could... in Vancouver. Once the sun came out, the full extent of the damage was obvious. These trees came down onto cars and fences in Surrey. Others brought down power lines. So at the peak of last night's storm, we saw about 170,000 customers without power. And the hardest hit areas included Vancouver, Surrey, Port Coquitlam and Maple Ridge. BC Hydro says crews have been working round the clock to get customers reconnected and repair damaged electrical equipment. Trees like this came down all across the south coast. And part of the reason is we had such a dry summer and drought impacted trees are far more susceptible to high winds. The storm is also bringing heavy snow to the interior. Up to 40 centimetres is expected for the Coquihalla through the weekend, while the lower mainland will continue to see rain into Sunday. Residents are being urged to clear debris away from catch basins so the flooding doesn't get any worse. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Last night's storm also hit Vancouver Island. In Campbell River, power lines caught fire in the area of Alder Street and 2nd Avenue around 11.30 during heavy rain. There are currently no power outages in the area. One man is believed to be dead after an hours-long incident in Langley Friday night. RCMP say they were called for a wellness check just after 10 a.m., but didn't find the distraught man for six hours near Zero Avenue and 224th Street. Police say when they arrived, shots were fired from inside a building. The response escalated and the man barricaded himself inside. Just after 10.30, a fire engulfed the building and also burned two police cars. It's unclear how the fire started, but officers believe the man died in the building. B.C.'s police watchdog has taken over the investigation. An overnight shooting in Coquitlam has left two men in hospital with critical injuries. Last night around 9.40, police attended the TD Bank parking lot at 11.40 Johnson Street for reports of shots fired. They found two men with multiple gunshot wounds. The victims were stabilized on scene and transported to hospital. Investigators are working to identify suspects. Anyone with video footage of the area or information is asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. In a shocking incident earlier this week, a notorious gangster with connections to the Lower Mainland was gunned down in Alberta, along with his 11-year-old son. Police have said both killings were targeted, and gang experts say this is a significant escalation of gang violence in Canada. Paul Johnson has this report. Thursday's double murder in Edmonton continues to send shockwaves across the country. Canadians have seen plenty of known gangsters murdered in public, but not their children. 
and not like this. Once the shooter or the shooters learned that the son was there, they intentionally killed him, shot and killed him. So he was not caught in a crossfire or killed by mistake. For those who track gangs in Western Canada, the murder of an 11-year-old boy marks the crossing of a new line. And that's collateral damage that we normally haven't seen in North America, and this is very indicative of uh, what the cartels do in Central and South America. And a lot of that element of crime is now being transplanted into our local communities. Cal Dosange is a Vancouver beat cop who started a foundation to turn kids away from gang life. He's not surprised that the depravity associated with the drug cartels has landed here. He says kids as young as elementary school age are being recruited by the gangsters. These kids are drawn to that scar face, very glitzy, glamorous, romanticized version of the gangster lifestyle. Dosange's foundation is called Kids Play and works on reorienting kids through sport. They've got chapters across the country now and tens of thousands have been through the program. Enlightening them about the reality of where gangsters end up is also part of it. Here's video of an earlier attempt to murder Harpreet Uppel, who reportedly didn't take police advice to change his lifestyle. Would he have thought differently if he knew he was risking his son's life as well? Uh, either you're going to end up in jail or you're going to end up dead. There's one or two uh, ways of going about this. Paul Johnson, Global News. Still to come, the Festival of Lights. How those celebrating the Wally are making sure they've got everything they need for the occasion. Also ahead, Canada's Senate calling on the feds to look into using psychedelics in mental health treatment for veterans. Stay with us. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. It has been a stormy weekend so far, but tomorrow should brighten up many spirits as the Wally, the Festival of Lights, gets underway. The celebration marks the triumph of light over darkness. As Safia Pirani reports, some businesses in Surrey say the day before the Wally is their busiest day of the year. It's an extra busy day here at Surrey's Bile Business Centre as preparations are underway for Diwali, the Festival of Lights, tomorrow. It is a festive season. We all are very, very excited. And shops have been stocking up on traditional attire, decor and food to meet the rising demand of the auspicious time, including at Navraj Suites, because no celebration is complete without some mitai. So Diwali takes like a good month to prepare for it. So it's been a lot of long hours, good 20 to 22 hours every day, single day. But we're very blessed that it's busy, so it's a good sign. How many boxes do you go through during Diwali? Probably go through a couple thousand. I would say like at least 1,500 to 2,000 boxes. And then if not, more. That's a minimum. Okay, that's some chocolates for you guys. For shop owner Manjinder Aurora, the best part about Diwali is how it brings everybody together. We actually meet all people from all over India, so from all different states, because all different state people, they have different uh, uh, puja things. So we have all the things here and we meet, we are lucky that we meet so many people 
who buy come and buy the stuff from us and this huge place is just like a big big market the inviting and vibrant atmosphere of Diwali helps foster a sense of community, which many South Asian families wish to share with their children. I'm very excited because for my kids, it's like they're going to actually remember next year what Diwali was, right? So yeah, I'm excited for them. I want to show them what our culture is. We can spend some quality time, sit together, enjoy. So yes, this is a special time. Are you excited for Diwali? Yes. What's your favorite part? I, I, I like playing with my friends. You like playing with your friends and do you love the food and the sweets? Yeah, you're going to eat a lot, right? A festival of new beginnings and the celebration of triumph of light over darkness. Safia Parani, Global News. Still ahead, how Ottawa marked Remembrance Day and the special tribute to the thousands of Canadians who've served as peacekeepers. Plus, a magical tournament in the Okanagan, Quidditch players trying to score a ticket to the Nationals. At the National Remembrance Day ceremony in Ottawa, a special notice today on the 75th anniversary of the first United Nations peacekeeping mission. As David Aiken reports, more than 125,000 Canadians have served in peacekeeping roles through the decades. At the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the silence of peace. And a time to remember the service of veterans from Afghanistan and recent conflicts, as well as veterans of the war of the last century, and honor those who continue to serve. Among the thousands crowded around the National War Memorial, young people like nine-year-old Emmett Gorman. I think it's good to be here to thank you to the people who sacrificed their lives for our country and certain people from different families and that have just sacrificed themselves. The presence of Emmett and other youth was especially meaningful to those who spent a lifetime in service, like former Army Sergeant Bob Oldford, who traveled from Manitoba for this day. It's important, too, because we're seeing that, we know the tradition of remembering will continue and we'll be able to teach the younger ones what the importance is, not only of remembering, but of trying to keep peace. Indeed, this ceremony on the 75th anniversary of the first United Nations peacekeeping mission paid special notice to the more than 125,000 Canadians who have served keeping the peace. We pause today to reflect upon the service and sacrifice of our troops in battles, conflicts, and missions throughout our military heritage. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them. Veterans were honored with prayers in English. In French, Conviendra l'heure de crépuscule et cellar aurore, nous nous souviendrons d'eux. And indigenous veterans in Ojibwe. Gawin, win. And at the end of the ceremony, a chance for all those who attended to place a poppy at the tomb of the unknown soldier and reflect on the service and sacrifice of so many Canadians. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. A Senate subcommittee has released a report calling for government research of a new approach to veteran mental health treatment. Ottawa has approved the use of psychedelic-assisted therapy in special cases, but as Kyle Benning explains, the impacts have yet to be measured. 
Canada's Senate is looking for more information on treatment for former armed forces members with post-traumatic stress disorder. The possible solution might be a psychedelic drug. Right now we want the study to be uh, strong and efficient and, and productive and hopefully uh, alleviate some of the pain of these veterans. The Senate Subcommittee on Veterans Affairs released a report this week titled The Time Is Now, granting equitable access to psychedelic-assisted therapies. The loan recommendation for relevant federal departments and provincial ministries to study these therapies. Patients would use MDMA or psilocybin, a compound found in magic mushrooms, to treat their mental health disorders. That both of these substances create uh, kind of acute but also long-term changes in the serotonin system and in people's experience of their own lives. Data from Veterans Affairs Canada shows PTSD is diagnosed in more than 1 in 10 former Canadian military members. Veterans also have a significantly higher likelihood of suicide compared to the rest of the population. In June, the federal government committed $3 million to a study looking into the benefits of psilocybin-assisted therapy on people struggling with addictions, depression, or in end-of-life care. Ottawa has also set up a special access program for patients who have tried everything else. And while there is still some time before a doctor will be able to prescribe psychedelic therapy, there are entities in Canada pushing ahead. Expanding the scope and getting it through ethics and approvals I think is a matter of, of you know, weeks to months, not years. South of the border, the Food and Drug Administration is considering approving MDMA-assisted treatment for people with PTSD. But others in the sector say if it was accessible, the treatment could come at a cost and won't do much for Canadians struggling now. Even when they are approved through a clinical trial, I can imagine the amount of people that will pay $800 for a pill is going to be a very small amount. According to the Senate subcommittee, experts noted prescription pills do not respond well with military or combat-related PTSD and that Canada owes it to its veterans to explore these kinds of treatments. Kyle Benning, Global News. Still ahead, Yvonne's here with the forecast and the record-breaking snowfall in Alaska that's prompted a state of emergency. In Vernon today, spectators were treated to a unique sporting event. Sydney Morton has the scoop on the Western Canadian Championships quad ball. Quidditch has flown away from Hogwarts and landed on the sports field for muggles. Is a mix between rugby, dodgeball, uh, a little bit of flag football is a really fun, intense, mixed-gender competitive sport. It started about 17 years ago. The sport has been adapted from the Harry Potter version since muggles can't zip around on brooms and renamed it quad ball. The game is played uh, with multiple balls, which is a little bit unique. Uh, you score with the quaffle, which is a volleyball, but you have to watch out for dodgeballs. If you are hit by a dodgeball, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're beat, you have to get off of your broom and go running back and touch your hoop, and then you can play again. Don't let the game's magical roots fool you. This is a very real sport that has been played competitively for years. And the Western Canadian Championships are at Vernon's Polson Park this year. Quidditch is great because it gets a whole hodgepodge of different people. Um, you get people that come from a competitive sports background that are looking to try something new, people that are brand new to sports, that uh, want a casual, fun uh, opportunity to try competition, uh, and people that are here because they're Harry Potter fans, which of course we love to see. Still, the name of the game is not Annihilation. It's camaraderie. One of the really important things about quad ball um, is that 
we aren't here to destroy the other team. We're here to play and get better and have fun. So you don't really have that animosity between, say, two really competitive teams. They're ready to hug it out after. As the Western Canadian Championships of Quad Ball wrap up, the competitors can now set their sights on the national championships in Ontario this spring. Sydney Morton, Global News. Okay, Yvonne's here now, and Yvonne, I guess, depending on where you were in the province, there would have been some soggy Quidditch games today. Yeah, it would have been, depending on where you were. We still had a bit of a breeze this morning. Thanks so much, Travis, and welcome uh, to the weekends with us. We're happy to have you as well. I know your mic's off, but you said thanks. <laughs> All right, uh, temperatures are currently sitting at 9. We've got a southwesterly wind sitting at around 20. Wanted to show you some of those peak wind gusts, where we did see some of the strongest winds near Howe Sound, getting up to 98 kilometers per hour. The airport up to 72 to Wasson clipped at around 83 and even areas near Abbotsford up to 74 overnight and through the day tomorrow we could still see some of those winds picking up between 40 and up to 50 kilometers per hour and here's a look at some of our current winds but we are going to track another weather maker and the return for some wet weather through tomorrow so it's on and off showers we actually have a bit of instability in the mix we could see a slight risk of a thunderstorm I have spotted some lightning strikes just along the central regions of the island and it is spotty in terms of the precipitation but a few waves still working its way along on the southern tip of Vancouver Island. Now, in behind it, this is the weather maker that is going to be moving in. That'll bring that rainfall. It'll start to push in, likely by the afternoon and then leading in towards tomorrow evening. But if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we still have a significant amount of snow. We've got a winter storm warning that remains in effect along the Coquihalla as well as the Allison Pass. Additional amounts between 10 and up to 15 centimeters. And by tomorrow morning, I wanted to show some of the totals where we could see anywhere between 25 and up to 40 centimeters. Rogers Pass, we do still have a special weather statement in effect and an additional five and up to 10 centimeters. So you'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. By tomorrow afternoon and taking us in towards the evening, there's that wave of rain. It'll be heavy at times, but then in behind it, we've got plenty of sunshine in the mix and that'll likely be Monday, Tuesday, and our Wednesday. Now along the northern half of the province, we're bumping up to seven as a daytime high. A few flurries are possible for the early morning hours for the central interior and then changing over to a chance for some showers. It'll dry out for higher elevations tomorrow. Much need a break across the region, but still breezy at times. In behind that frontal system, we'll see some of those winds with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Instability is still going to linger along the western and central regions of the island with that risk of a thunderstorm. Victoria will see some shower activity tomorrow morning. So cloud cover, a few breaks, showers, but the heavier rain is going to move in towards the evening. Breezy at times with gusts of up to 40. Past tomorrow, though, Monday through Wednesday, we've got plenty of sunshine in the mix and temperatures ranging between 8 and 10 degrees. Travis. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, a winter weather state of emergency has been declared in Anchorage, Alaska, after the area received more than 63 centimeters of snow in just five days. This was the most snow to ever fall in the first two weeks of November. There have been flight delays at the Ted Stevens Anchorage International Airport, and many city offices and operations are closed to allow for more resources to be used to clear out the snow. That would have to be a lot of snow in Alaska, I imagine, to prompt a state of emergency. Absolutely. I think it's uh, everybody's staying home and kids are playing out in the snow. But yes, that is a lot of snow for a short period of time, only five or six days. So yeah. Yeah, some, uh, some serious stuff there, but a little bit of an emergency, I guess, on the field. 
tonight yeah. as well. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been intense. Uh, well, on the ice, on the field as well. Lots of highlights coming up in sports. Yes, the uh, BC Lions are in Winnipeg to take on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Barry DeLay is there as well. We'll hear from him, him at 11 o'clock. But I'll have all the highlights of this uh, Massive game, the Western Final, a rematch of last year's Western Final between the BC Lions and Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And it was intense, a massive play, some big hits as well. And uh, a tough day for the BC Lions offense. We'll have those, uh, those highlights and the Canucks as well coming up soon. Okay, thanks very much, Asa. We'll take a quick break now. Stay with us. More news on the other side. Israel has now lowered its estimate of how many were killed in the surprise attack by Hamas on October 7th. It says it's about 1,200 people, down from 1,400. Tonight, Israel's military said it will assist in the evacuation of babies from Gaza's northern hospitals. Mike Armstrong reports. This is where it was supposed to be safer. Israeli defense forces have, for more than a week, urged Gazans to move south. The border town of Rafah is as far south as they can go. The IDF says rockets are still being fired by Hamas into Israel, and it hits targets when it sees them. Witnesses say this was the aftermath of an airstrike, one some don't understand. This man says his aunt and cousin were killed. They weren't involved in anything, he says. There was no resistance in their house. While the exodus out of the north continues, the IDF paused fighting midday in central Gaza, opening once again two corridors through the middle of the strip. Tens of thousands again moved south, leaving behind everything except what they could carry. Khalil Ayoub says he's been through three conflicts in his lifetime, but never like this. As he walks, he says the road is full of suffering and there's been death all around. Medical facilities are struggling. The World Health Organization says half of the hospitals in Gaza have shut down, and the ones that are still open are doing so with severely reduced staffing under worsening conditions. This is video from the Al-Quds Hospital in Gaza City, shared by the Red Crescent Society. It appears to show power to the building out and medical teams working on patients by flashlight. About two and a half kilometers away, the Al-Shifa Hospital. A doctor says it's operating at about 30% capacity. Most of the staff has left. The ones that stayed, he says, have already decided they're dead. It's more of a war zone here. It's continuous bombardment for more than uh, like 24 hours now. The IDF is calling reports the Al-Shifa Hospital is under siege lies. The spokesman says there has been fighting around it, but that there's no shooting at it and that the east side is still open for people to leave. Now, there was smoke in the skies over northern Israel. Tensions with Lebanon continue. The leader of Hezbollah said Saturday his forces will continue engaging their, as he put it, sworn enemy. Now, Israel's defense minister met troops near the border with Lebanon and had a warning for his northern neighbor. He said Hezbollah is making mistakes and could drag Lebanon into a war, adding that what Israel is doing right now in Gaza, it could do to Beirut. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Jerusalem.
We've heard a lot about foreign interference from Russia and China, but the biggest threat to our security may be coming from the Islamic Republic of Iran. An Ontario man whose wife and daughter were killed by the Iranian regime says his calls for answers have put his life in danger even here in Canada. Negar Mojtahedi reports. Thousands of kilometers away from the Iranian regime, Hamid Esmailiun always has to watch his back. We thought that we'd come to one of the safest places in the world, but uh, it's not. His life changed forever on January 8, 2020. His wife Patisa and daughter Rira and dozens of other Canadians were killed when the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps shot down Ukraine Airlines Flight 752. My wife, my only child, along with 174 other innocent human beings and an unborn child were murdered in cold blood. Ismailiun started demanding answers, and soon the watchful eyes of the regime focused on him in Canada. The worst part is Ismailiun, a Canadian, says he gets little to no protection from the police here. I said, if you have any recommendation for me, because I see I, the threats are going on, especially on social media, they said to me that they have no resources. They're busy with Ukraine, Russia, other things, China. Payam Akhavan is one of the world's most distinguished human rights lawyers. As a senior advisor to the Canadian government on Flight 752, Akhavan wants to protect Canada from the regime. It has even spread its tentacles right here in Canada. This is really an issue of national security. When you allow the proponents of such a, a dangerous regime, a regime that is responsible not just for appalling human rights violations, but which is responsible for terrorism. Ismailiun says the Islamic Republic's presence here makes the entire country unsafe. The Islamic Republic's agents are everywhere in this country. Everywhere. For more on this eye-opening investigation, watch the new reality tonight at 7 p.m. Nagar Moshahedi, Global News. Still ahead, Asa is here with sports, a busy night, and a do-or-die game for the BC Lions, trying to secure a spot in the Grey Cup. Join Willowbrook's 8th Annual Cherry Shopping Night. The holiday event will benefit Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Langley. Enjoy a live musical performance by Chantel Kraviazic and more. Take a trip down memory lane as Disney on Ice returns with Frozen and Encanto. Sing along to your favorite songs while embracing world-class skating, aerial acrobatics, and more. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Schell. In partnership with the CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day, Wednesday, February 28th, presented by Fortis BC, energy for a better BC. Ace is here now, and uh, you've how many TVs have you had on? You've had a busy uh, yes. Sports every day. single TV in the sports department was on a different game, and then obviously you've seen what you're up to in here as well. So keeping track of everything that's going on, all of it. Canucks game going on right now. We'll have those highlights in a moment. First. Let's start uh, with a football game, the big one. It's a rematch of last season's West Final, and it is back in Winnipeg. The playoff uh, meeting marks the fourth battle between the Bombers and Lions this season, with Winnipeg winning two of the previous three. But today's game is the only one that eliminates the opposition and earns a ticket to the 110th Grey Cup in Hamilton. It was a packed crowd at IG Field, as expected, and the Lions went up 3-0, but the Bombers were fueled by the home crowd. Brady Oliveira pushing 
the pile and the pile pushing Oliveira over the line for the opening TD of this game. So the Bombers take their first lead of this game. Lions uh, dealt with some injuries in this game in the first half early on actually. Keon Hatcher, big player for the BC Lions. He goes down with this non-contact injury and then DJ Lee as well getting hurt on a pretty innocent tackle there as well. So he had to be helped off the field. Both Lee and Hatcher would not return in this game. Second quarter, Bombers special teams making a special play, blocking the punts, recovering it, and then pushing the pile over the line once again. Touchdown, Bombers. A strong first half for Winnipeg. They dominated the first half, but on the final play before the break, Vernon Adams Jr. tosses up the Hail Mary, hoping something happens, and it does. It's tipped and caught by Justin McKinnis. Lions back in this game. They trail by eight at halftime. Within five, uh, five minutes of the first, or the fourth quarter, rather, uh, the Lions had a tough time finding any holes uh, in the Bombers' defense. Adams Jr. looking for McKinnis. He's picked off there, one of three interceptions thrown by the quarterback, and uh, he felt pressure as well from Winnipeg Russians, who sacked ten times in this game. They just really struggled to get the offense going. They were down by 10 here in the fourth quarter. Having to go for it on third down. Dominic Rimes can't come down with it, though. He ended this game with just one catch for five yards, kind of summing up their offensive struggles. Blue Bombers go on to win this one 24-13 and advance to the Great Cup once again. In the East Final, earlier today, 16-win Toronto hosting the Alouettes of Montreal. Montreal, though, the defense making big plays on the opening drive. It is a pick six. Mark Antoine Ducroy taking it. Ducroy, rather, taking it to the house. 7-0 Alouettes and Montreal's defense was a big problem for Toronto's offense. They forced nine turnovers. Kevin Ento also had a pick six. This one in the third quarter. And this pretty much sealed it. A convincing lead there. Toronto just couldn't get it going. Rough day for Chad Kelly. Alouettes going on to win this one 38-17. And it was a beautiful day for the Hardy Cup with UBC hosting Alberta. Third time the Birds and Golden Bears have won at this, uh, gone head-to-head -head this season. UBC winning the previous two meetings, going for the season sweep in today's Hardy Cup. Well, not being easy, won 2100 in attendance for the 86th Hardy Cup. UBC jumped out to a 14 nothing lead. This strip sack fumble is pounced on in the end zone by Ryan Baker. Touchdown, T-Birds. But the Golden Bears responded in a big way. They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter before Garrett Rooker finds Edron Williams-Fernandez in the end zone. Then on the final play of the game, T-Birds trailing by six. Rooker to Sam Davenport. He has to catch it. He does. Tie game. And Kieran Flannery Fleck, the kicker, with a chance to win it if he hits this extra point. Guess what? He does. What a game. What a comeback by UBC. They win it the Hardy Cup for a 17th time. All right, the Canucks entered tonight's game in Toronto on a five-game unbeaten run. Coming into the contest, the Canucks allowed just 26 goals through 13 games, the best in the West when it comes to goals against. But how would they do against one of the best goal scorers in the league? Austin Matthews scoring 13 through 14 games this season with Toronto. Ten wins already for Talkett's Canucks and a heavyweight bout to get things going. Just five minutes into this 
First period, Dakota Joshua and Mark Giordano exchanging blows. You like that, Travis? Mark Giordano is still going at it. Yeah, <laughs> he's going at it in a big way there, yeah. Canucks uh, go on the power play, and uh, JT Miller tees up his ninth of the season. Nice goal for him. Power play marker. Canucks take a 1-0 lead. Leafs respond, though, just as the power play expires for them. Matthew Nye scoring in close to make it 1-1. But before the end of the first period, the Canucks do reclaim the lead. Hugh Suter scores his fourth of the campaign. 2-1. With all the big names in this one, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller gets a goal there, but Austin Matthews as well. It's Suter scoring, of course. Five minutes into the second, Thatcher Demko robs William Nylander. But the Canucks can't clear, can't get control of it either. Nylander gets another crack at it. This time he scores in close, leading Demko. Tie game 2-2. Then Morgan Riley leading a three-on-two here. Spots to Gregor. He scores 3-2 Leafs. Toronto taking their first lead of this game. And they will add to it in the third. Nick Robertson makes it 4-2. They've added another in the third period. This one just winding down was 5-2. At last check. Meanwhile, at the Billy Jean King Cup, Leila Annie Fernandez put on a show, left it all on the floor in the semifinal match against uh, Czechia. She kept Canada alive by upsetting Marketa Vondrasova in her singles match. Then it was Fernandez joined by Gabriela Dabrowski, and the pair were nearly perfect in their doubles match, winning in straight sets to complete the comeback. And defeat Czechia 2-1 Canada advances to their first ever Billie Jean King Cup final. They'll face Italy on Sunday. So there it is, Travis. That's all of it. Well, I'm sure there's a little bit more, but that's yeah. all I can fit in here. Yeah, quite a full schedule tonight. How would you, uh, what would you say the Lions season was this year? Oh, it's, it's a tough one. I think success overall, but uh, still got to get over that hump, right? And win that great cup, that's pretty much what they've been trying to do. So Winnipeg still in their way. Always next year, though. <laughs> Always next year. That's the beauty of sports. Stay with us. We'll have more news on the other side. No Stone Left Alone organization officially launched 12 years ago. The goal is simple, to mark and honour every headstone of Canadian veterans and ensure young people are aware of the sacrifices made. For the first time this year, the organization held a ceremony at Virginia's Arlington National Cemetery to honour our veterans buried there too. Tracy Tong reports. The Canadian Cross of Sacrifice at Arlington National Cemetery in Virginia serves as a larger-than-life symbol of the camaraderie, triumphs and tragedies shared between two nations. Friendship between Canada and the United States, a friendship that begins like so many others through adversity and tough times together. At Flanders Fields, in the hills of Korea, in the skies of the Balkans, when the planes landed in Gander on 9-11. Side by side, in times of war and peace throughout history. During World War I, about 40,000 Americans enlisted in the Canadian forces, and at least 30,000 Canadians volunteered with the U.S. military during the Vietnam War. Of the 43 American uh, troops who, uh, who had fallen under Canadian command during Afghanistan, five of them died while I was on tour in Afghanistan at the same time. May they rest in peace 
and may light perpetual shine upon them. Too often, veterans who straddled that border have fallen through the cracks and gone unrecognized. Sergeant McGilvery, may you rest in peace. But not today. A poppy ceremony to commemorate veterans like Sergeant Charles A. McGilvery, who was born in PEI and joined the U.S. Army after Pearl Harbor. He received the Medal of Honor for single-handedly clearing a German machine gun nest that was blocking his rifle squad during combat in France. There's a lot more headstones that we haven't visited, and we won't stop until there's no stone left alone. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row. And the poppies have been growing through veteran stories passed on to the next generation. They were young as we are young. They serve giving freely of themselves. To them we pledge amid the winds of time to carry their torch and never forget. We will remember them. Oh, say can you see. Remembering those who served and sacrificed in the name of a friendship and fought for the freedoms of us all. Wherever they lay, we salute their service and sacrifice and cherish the time we had to spend with them. We stand on guard for thee. Tracy Tong, Global News. Really nice tribute there. Uh, Yvonne, time for uh, one last look at weather. Yeah, we have a few showers this evening, even a slight risk of a thunderstorm, so a bit unsettled, and then through the day tomorrow by the afternoon and early evening. Round of rain is going to move in, but let's look past that. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're actually back into some sunshine. Quite pleasant in highs, anywhere between 8 and 10 degrees. Still a bit of a breeze for tomorrow. Okay, thanks so much, Yvonne. That's it for uh, us tonight. Thanks for joining us. We leave you with some of the sights and sounds of today's ceremony from Victory Square in Vancouver.